one week into the practice period. And uh, I don't know how it's going for people. Uh, for me, it's uh, it feels a little bit like uh, one week of practice period feels a little bit like one day of session. <laughs> so I feel like I'm about to, today. I felt like I was in the second day of session, which is usually pretty miserable. Um, where I feel uh, kind of sick because my usual uh, uh, usual distractions are not there to support me. It's rather interesting. It's a little bit like uh, a withdrawal from some kind of addiction or habit. Right? So today I noticed uh, that uh, as I was driving I have a, a, a garden project going on in San Anselmo, and I was, as I was driving to there and back, I kept wanting to turn on the radio. <laughs> Came up again and again, I wanted to turn on the radio. Because uh, I often uh, have the radio listening to the news and things like that while I'm uh, making these trips from one place to another. And uh, it's very interesting just how uh, attached you can be to a simple habit that takes you away from the experience of yourself. Uh, the raw, kind of edgy, unknown experience of yourself. So in our practice of, uh, of learning ourselves, of actually studying ourselves, and making friends with ourselves, it includes meeting that uh, that experience of being a little uncomfortable, or sometimes maybe being very uncomfortable. But sometimes it's just a little uncomfortable, and you feel like, oh, you'd like to do something, you'd like to, maybe you'd like to turn on the radio, or maybe you'd like to pick up the newspaper, or maybe you'd like to uh, uh, just start dreaming about something. Maybe you'd like to eat something. Maybe I'd feel a little bit better, you know, if I had a, had another cookie. <laughs> um, so you may notice other people. Uh, uh, you may notice as you uh, make some effort during this six weeks of uh, practice period. Uh, that there are times that are uncomfortable, and usually you have some some way of distracting yourself from that uncomfortable uh, state of mind. And so, what do you do? Um, really, uh, best thing is to do nothing. <laughs> except to bring awareness. It's harder to bring awareness when you're, uh, you're in the midst of work or you're driving or you're doing various things. Um, it's, it's a little more difficult than when you're simply sitting. When you're sitting, you have the support 
of your posture and, and the practice of awareness of your breath. And so finding composure in the midst of some difficulty or irritation is uh, really the heart of this practice. And uh, we cultivate it in the Zendo. In the Zendo, it, we all support each other. And uh, it's, people have told me many times it's easier to sit in the Zendo with other people. Sitting at home, uh, sometimes people have told me, without even being aware of it, suddenly they've gotten up <laughs> from their cushion and walked into the next room and started a cup of coffee or something. <laughs> it's, uh, but when you're in, sitting in the zendo with other people, you realize, oh, that would be a pretty big disturbance just to get up and walk out. So you're, the, so you're supported in that way by other people. And you're supported by the Zendo. Really, there's nothing else to do here, right? The Zendo was designed to be a great place to do nothing. And uh, only that which is most essential. Which is to simply be aware. And uh, so the Zendo, the way the Zendo is the setup actually supports this practice. And so coming to the Zendo is very helpful, but you may not realize the value of it in the Zendo, but sometimes as you go forth and uh, you're involved in your day's activity, particularly if you're sitting more in the mornings and the evenings, you may notice that you have a little more feeling of connection with the spirit of practice. A little more feeling of connection or, or kind of access to the, uh, the state of mind in which you remember to bring awareness to what you're doing. The state of mind which uh, engenders the thought of mindfulness state of mind that engenders the uh, recognition that, oh, I can simply hear the sound. I can simply be with this feeling of edginess and irritation. Just enough tea. There's more tea. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like some more tea? I, bring it around? I think this was a tonight. We had two first. Of course, it's the it's early summer. It's really the first full day of summer, right? We had the summer solstice, summer solstice yesterday, in the middle of the day or afternoon, I think. Actually. Five, five, three. <laughs> 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 Is that Forty-seven p.m. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. Yesterday. So that's so today is the first full day of summer. 
on the first full day of summer, we chanted the four vows twice. <laughs> and we had the first time, I think this is the first time the water boiled away during the tea. Right? And the tea bags. It was like that extra, <laughs> that extra sunshine. It was fun. So, um, we have a tendency to think that there is some ideal uh, state of mind. We all uh, keep creating these ideas that there is some state of mind we would like to have, we would like to be in, we would like to get to. And then we think what we know, what we know must be really satisfying is the real thing, right? whatever the real thing is. Reality, right? Wouldn't reality be satisfying? <laughs> so Dogen was writing about this uh, in many ways. Dogen Senji. Uh, 13th century. And he quotes here in this, this uh, fascicle from the Shobogenzo called Gabyo. He quotes Kyogen uh, Chikan, or in Chinese, Jian Yan Zixian, who said, A painting of a rice cake does not satisfy hunger. So, when we feel unsatisfied, we may grasp at some illusion, right, to satisfy our dissatisfaction. Now, these days, we have lots of uh, rice cakes on TV, right, and billboards, and in the newspaper and magazines, uh, telling us how we will be satisfied. Sometimes it's, you know, a different shampoo. <laughs> if you have the right shampoo, then you'll be really happy. Your problems will be solved. I mean, that's the kind of implication. Right? A painting of a rice cake does not satisfy hunger, but then we know that, right? We know that the painting is not the real rice cake. And so that's the ordinary uh, understanding, of course, we know the painting of the rice cake does not satisfy hunger, and still we think we uh, we grasp at paintings, we grasp at illusions. But Dogen's commentary takes this uh, to a whole nother level. Uh, he says, "I'm going to read a few s sections." Uh, he says, this statement has been studied by ancient Buddhas and present Buddhas. Nevertheless, it has become the mere chatter of seekers in grass-roofed huts and under trees. When they, when they teach, they say, this statement means that studying the sutras and commentaries does not nourish true wisdom. 
So this is actually uh, common to the Zen tradition, right? Saying that true wisdom is not in the words and letters of the sutras. Dogen continues, or they suppose it means that to study the sutras of the three vehicles or the one vehicle is not the way of perfect enlightenment. But then he says, to think that the statement means that expedient teachings are useless is a great mistake. If you do not understand this one Buddha's phrase, <clears throat> who could acknowledge that you have thoroughly understood the words of other Buddhas? To say a painting of a rice cake does not satisfy hunger is equal to saying to refrain from all unwholesome actions and to respectfully practice wholesome actions. It is equal to saying, what is it that thus comes? So these are quotes, right? We say, <clears throat> when we, when we uh, do the meal chant, we say we re refrain from all unwholesome actions and respectfully practice wholesome actions. Or we say we refrain from that which is evil and do that which is good. Right? That's the same same saying. That's that's from the Dhammapada, actually, early, very early Buddhist teaching. What is it that thus comes? That's from another conversation between uh, Huynung and Nanyue. Um, so these are actually examples of enlightened speech. Now he's saying that a painting of a rice cake does not hang, satisfy hunger then is an example of enlightened speech. So that's he, then he says the painting of a rice cake needs to be thoroughly understood. A painted rice cake made of rice flour is neither born nor unborn. This cannot be understood by the limited view that a painted rice cake comes and goes. When mountains and waters are painted, blue, green, and red paints are used. Strange rocks and wondrous stones are used. The four jewels and the seven treasures are used. Rice cakes are painted in the same manner. When a person is painted, the four great elements and the five skandhas are used. When a Buddha is painted, not only clay or earth is used, but 32 marks, a blade of grass, and the cultivation of wisdom for incalculable eons are used. All painted Buddhas are actual Buddhas. A rice cake, a painted white rice cake, is wholeness of body and mind actualized. Rice cakes are not separate from hunger. Rice cakes are not separate from rice cakes. The phrase, 
does not satisfy hunger means this hunger not the ordinary matter of every day this hunger never encounters a painted rice cake if you were to eat a painted rice cake it would never put an end to this hunger but rice cakes are not separate from hunger so he goes on and says motion and stillness are nothing but a painting And then, uh, he concludes with, with, these, with these lines. Those who experience great awakening are all paintings. Do not doubt it with the limited view that separates the ordinary from the sacred. Because the entire world and all phenomena are painting, human existence appears from painting, and Buddha ancestors are actualized from a painting. <clears throat> Since this is so, there is no remedy for satisfying hunger other than a painted rice cake. Mm -hmm. Without painted hunger, you never become a true person. There is no understanding other than painted satisfaction. When you understand this meaning with your body and mind, you will thoroughly master the ability to turn things and be turned by things. If this is not done, the power of the study of the way is not yet realized. To enact this ability is to actualize the painting of enlightenment. So I want to go back to the phrase um, where he's talking about mountains and waters are painted red, blue, green. And when rice cakes are painted in the same manner, when a person is painted, the four great elements, so that's earth, air, fire and water, and the five skandhas, the five aggregates, form, feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness that we chant in the Heart Sutra. These are used for painting a person. So he's talking about the composition of all conditioned, all conditioned things all conditioned things, that is, all phenomena that are composed of parts. So the painting, painting then, is not just a metaphor, but the painting is the way things actually appear in the world. that things appear in the world as, as conditioned, as assembly, as assembled, but not exactly assembled because it's actually the 
the miraculous coming together of four elements and five skandhas in the case of a person. And then by turning it around, he's saying that the that the world of the conditioned, of everything uh, being completely uh, interconnected and supported by everything else, is the same as the world of the absolute. But the world of the painted rice cake is the same as the world of the real rice cake. The world of you uh, feeling uh, irritated and frustrated is the same as the world of you uh, having Buddha mind, in which everything is seen just as it is. So he's, he's taking this simple statement, which seems ordinarily true that a painted rice cake does not satisfy hunger. <laughs> turns it around and then gives it back. And what he's saying is that this is actually our practice. Meeting phenomena moment by moment. It's our job to recognize that the phenomena that we meet is not just the phenomena we meet. Because the phenomena we meet would not satisfy us. But it's only when you realize that the phenomenon that you meet is actually you yourself. When you realize that the phenomena you meet is actually you yourself, that is totally satisfying. So, the phenomena you meet are not just phenomena. They're not just like a painted rice cake. They're really you. They're not just something separate from you that you meet. They don't even exist without you. <laughs> so what you usually see as uh, something objective doesn't exist apart from you. So this is uh, just touching on uh, this this teaching of how the conditioned and the absolute are one. Realizing this uh, really is a first step to uh, being truly helpful in the world. And there's really then no separation between taking care of yourself and taking care of whoever's in front of you. Now it's, uh, we're always working with how to say what's true. And we know that you know, there's no way to exactly say what's true, because as soon as we say it, 
our language itself creates division. So, uh, the part of the value of actually stopping and listening is to realize that truth that exists before we objectify it. As we were sitting, there were many sounds. And uh, you might appreciate the sounds. The sounds, when you think about them, seem to be apart from you. But the sounds truly heard are actually you. So anyway, that's a little bit of my uh, <laughs> understanding of what Dogen's getting at in his astonishing statement <laughs> that the only way to satisfy hunger is by a painted rice cake. <laughs> Thank you for listening. So we're chanting in the evening, uh, we're chanting the refuges, right? Do people need the sutra book? Maybe some people do.